0: up everybody welcome to episode 110 of the rotosauce podcast formerly known as the 2qb experience and this is effectively another episode of the 2qb xp Uh, my name is greg i'm your host and today i'm going to talk redraft quarterback rankings for 2019 but not necessarily in the traditional sense we're going to get into the minutiae of tiering the quarterback position for fantasy football and i want to do that by zooming out and beginning with what i call macro tiers in an attempt to explain what i mean by that let me give you a little bit Of background on my quarterback ranking process Uh, so if you followed me and my work from this podcast or at 2QBs.com you know that I believe in something called the quarterback middle class this is a broad group of middle of the road fantasy passers I definitely like some of them more than others but the overall conceit of this middle class is that Most of the quarterbacks are of reasonably similar value, especially when we think about fantasy in a week-to-week context. Like, for example, I generally prefer Matt Ryan more than Matthew Stafford, and I would rank them accordingly, but neither one of them is so good that he is an every-week starter in my evaluations. On top of that, any scheduling or injuries or other week-to-week contextual factors could induce some amount of variance to make... Either Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford, you know, similarly valuable to a fantasy football owner over the course of a season. So in my mind, they both belong in this middle class that I'm talking about. So when I talk about the QB middle class, that's a very specific instance of what I consider a macro tier, like this big group of guys who, if I want to, I can still parse out who I like more and, you know, go into smaller micro tiers if I want, but but that middle class is is a bigger grouping. And I think it's helpful to consider the position that way. We can zoom out further if we want to create bigger buckets or tiers to classify quarterbacks, or we can zoom in and create those smaller micro tiers within the macro tiers, eventually settling on individual player rankings as you know the most granular of our micro tiers, like here's my top guy, here's my second guy, here's my third guy, and so on. My hope is that ultimately we can get a better understanding of the relative differences in quarterback values by understanding all the different ways that we can group these players together. So let's begin with one of the broadest strokes we can possibly paint, and this is starters versus backups. Our first macro tier is going to separate quarterbacks into only those two groups. This is critical information for two QB and Superflex leagues because we want two starting quarterbacks in our lineups each and every week. Yes, even in a Superflex But there are only 32 potential starting spots in the NFL, and that pool of available starters is going to shrink at times during the season due to bye weeks. So some weeks we're going to have even fewer than 32 potential options. And meanwhile, injuries and benchings are going to shake up the starting situations for certain teams. So there are a couple different ways that we can delineate between starters and backups. One, or first, we can talk only about the here and now. Who are the starters and who are the backups as things stand right now today? This approach is more important in a one-quarterback league because there will always be some number of streaming options available, and we therefore don't need to pay much attention to the players who don't even have jobs. Or, second, we can project games started going forward for the balance of a season. Which quarterbacks are most likely to start the majority of the games from here on out for their team? This approach requires us to project how long we need to wait for players to become useful, right? and we need to factor in that burned bench spots into our roster calculus. But overall, I find this is generally a better way to think about the passer position in a two-quarterback league because we're projecting value over the whole season and over the bulk of the season rather than, you know, just now, what's going to be going on in week one. The 2018 quarterback battle between Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield in Cleveland is a good illustration of where each of these approaches can generate some amount of value At the beginning of the season, the here-and-now approach would have led you to Taylor, while the projected starts approach would have led you to Mayfield. In a one-quarterback league, you could have streamed Tyrod to about 23.5 fantasy points in Week 1, about 14.5 fantasy points in Week 2, and then cut bait before or after his Week 3 dud where Mayfield took over. In a two-quarterback league... You could have gained that early season production from Taylor, but probably at the expense of drafting Mayfield. Like, it's unlikely you would have been able to roster both coming out of your draft. And Mayfield produced significantly more value over the entire season. And if you were rostering three or more quarterbacks in those first two weeks of the season, it wouldn't have mattered if Mayfield was riding the pine for Cleveland because you have two other guys, you know, barring injury, who you could have started in Mayfield's place because there are no bye weeks in those first couple weeks. So for the purposes of this podcast, I am gonna try to separate starters from backups based upon who I project for more relevant starts over the entire 2019 NFL season. And so that gives us two distinct groupings. The first, starters plus presumed starters. And this is the usual suspects with the guys at the top like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Drew Brees, and so on, all the way down to where it starts to get a little a little dicey. Around QB twenty four, that's where I have Josh Allen for reference. Then we have to forecast quarterback 25 to quarterback 32, but not all those jobs are settled yet. I have Derek Carr at QB 25, Andy Dalton at QB 26, but I don't think either one of those guys are locks to hold their jobs. Then I have Nick Foles at QB 27, Teddy Bridgewater at QB 28, but those guys don't have teams yet. Uh, The three most obvious potential landing spots for Foles or Bridgewater are Miami, Jacksonville, and Washington, but we don't know exactly where they're going to land. My QBs, 29 through 31, are Josh Rosen, Eli Manning, and Joe Flacco, all of whom do feel locked in as I record this show. Still, skills and situation make me wary of them, but I can't really forecast any of the three losing their gig this far in in advance of free agency and the NFL draft. And so that ultimately leaves us assuming that they're going to start, and we have one leftover nebulous spot for those three teams we talked about without a settled starter. Again, that was Miami, Jacksonville, and Washington. I think it's fair to assume that that starting spot, whether it's for one of those three teams or for a different team, is probably going to go to some rookie quarterback X. Uh, maybe Kyler Murray, maybe Dwayne Haskins, maybe someone else, who knows. There is also the possibility that you know Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Tannehill, somebody like that gets... Another opportunity with a new team, but for now let's just call him rookie quarterback X and move on. This isn't super important because for the purposes of tiering, we're talking about groups of players, uh, so we can just kind of lump in that thirty-second starter uh, into that conversation. After we have those starters and presumed starters, we have the other separation of this, you know, macro tier. We have backups, and this is pretty self-explanatory. These are the passers who are playing behind one of the aforementioned starters. We won't draft. These types of players in one quarterback leagues, but in two quarterback formats, the premium handcuffs will find themselves under rosters in deeper redraft leagues and especially more often in dynasty leagues where hoarding signal callers has a little bit more upside. I talked a little bit about that with Jordan McNamara uh, two episodes ago, so go check that out if you're interested in hoarding the QB position in dynasty. But for the rest of this podcast, we'll mostly ignore the backups, and we're going to parse out the starters tier, which brings me to the next subdivision into a a new set of macro tiers. Uh, This is where we're splitting that group of starters into two more categories, roster worthy versus undesirable. This is another dichotomy, and here's where we figure out where the breaking point is between players we'd actively want to roster and players we'd rather not own, if we can help it. And to be clear, we're not always going to get our way when it comes to which players we own. Uh, if we miscalculate in the draft, we may end up with undesirable quarterbacks on our team. But anyway, for the purposes of considering this tier, we're trying to imagine a draft that is, quote, gone right, unquote, and we've ended up with a quarterback depth chart that we can feel good about from top to bottom, from our QB1 down to our QB3 or QB4. Generally, I'm only talking about down to QB3, though. A QB4 could literally be anybody if you're drafting a fourth quarterback in a two quarterback format chances are just the mechanics of the draft are going to implicitly mean that that's an undesirable guy or a backup Uh, it's it's really unlikely you're going to be able to walk away with four you know roster worthy starters in a draft of any you know reasonable depth anyway let's get back to that idea of ending up with quarterbacks who we feel good about generally that means avoiding risk and getting passers with locked in jobs So if you recall a little while ago when I mentioned that I'm feeling good about starters until about QB 24, I can confirm that's about where the tier break is for me between roster worthy and undesirable. I want to walk away from my two quarterback draft with three players from that top 24 most likely, and that list includes Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton... Ben Roethlisberger, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Philip Rivers, Mitchell Trubisky, Dak Prescott, Marcus Mariota, Matthew Stafford, Sam Darnold, and Josh Allen. And so that means my tier of undesirable starters includes Derek Carr, Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater, Josh Rosen, Eli Manning, Joe Flacco, and the aforementioned rookie quarterback X. I'm only making these distinctions based upon information available right now in mid-February, and a lot is going to change over the coming months. At least a couple of these undesirable guys should graduate up into the roster-worthy or starter-worthy tier once depth charts are more settled after the NFL draft. Like, for example, if the Jaguars were to bring in Nick Foles and not draft a rookie quarterback of consequence, we could pretty safely assume that Foles will start, and therefore we can push him up into that roster-worthy group. But this is where we're at for now, and so let's keep going with some micro-tiers within this this bigger macro-tier. The next important distinction for me is that between difference makers at the quarterback position and that QB middle class I talked about earlier. And to me, there are only four difference makers, like true quarterback difference makers. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck. Feel free to make the case for any other quarterbacks outside this top four of mine. Plenty deserve consideration, but Mahomes, Rodgers, Wilson, and Luck... Represent the right combination of talent and or age and or situation to feel like they're startable in any given week virtually regardless of matchup if you want to go super micro from here uh, you could possibly split the difference makers into a top two with mahomes plus rogers because i do think there is a a slight but tangible difference between those two and wilson slash luck but i'm not going to split the hairs that finely on this episode with that said, if you were to keep subdividing these tiers, you could probably make the argument that Wilson and Luck should maybe even rank closer to the best of the next tier rather than to Mahomes and Rodgers up at you know that very, very elite uh, top two status. So who, besides those four, is in that fully saturated quarterback middle class? I'm going to list them again, so feel free to hit that little uh, you know skip ahead 30 seconds button. But my middle class is Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger, Jimmy Garoppolo, Jared Goff, Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins, Carson Wentz, Philip Rivers, Mitchell Trubisky, Dak Prescott, Marcus Mariota, Matthew Stafford, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. I've listed them in the order that I have them ranked you know, right now today, but again, if you want to promote Breeze or some other high-end quarterback here, I'm not going to quibble with you. But on a week-to-week basis, I feel like you could shake up, you know, a magic eight ball with all these names on the the die inside, and probably never be surprised if the player who came up was a top five guy that week. Still, there are some relative wild cards here, especially the younger, less proven players like Mariota, Darnold, and Allen. And with that in mind, I think it's worth splitting up the middle class further into even smaller micro tiers. And so my middle class split is actually a four-way split. I have management, white collar, blue collar, and interns. Now, please don't take offense to these tier titles. I'm just playing in the sandbox here, uh, trying to give some funny names to, you know, meaningless tiers of fantasy football rankings, okay? Uh, But anyway, management tier. uh, Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Brady, Mayfield, Newton, Roethlisberger. All these players have the upside to finish as difference makers. We've seen them do it in the past. I mean, maybe we haven't seen Jameis do it for a full season, but we've seen stretches of him where he's been hyper productive on that, you know, top five, top six quarterback level. Now, with that said, I've also called this micro tier the danger zone in the past because quarterbacks at the top of this range, that is, the ones who get drafted after the sure thing difference makers, these guys are typically the most overcosted quarterbacks in terms of ADP because drafters become afraid of missing out on the quote-unquote good QBs, and they reach for these management-level players who aren't really that much better than the white-collar or the blue-collar types that I'm going to get to next. It's definitely okay to draft from this tier, but you don't necessarily need to be the first drafter to pluck from it. For example, if you can draft Baker Mayfield or Jameis Winston around the fifth or sixth round in practice, you probably don't need to pay up for Deshaun Watson in the third round, because they're close enough in value that you're better off you know, just waiting. On the other hand, if your draft strategy is contingent on getting two high-end quarterbacks, you will probably need to reach into this group once, maybe even twice. But I really think you're doing yourself a disservice if you cling to a quarterback strategy that tightly. The position is just too deep, and you give up too much opportunity cost in the second through fourth rounds if you're using multiple picks on passers. And so if you like to wait on the position like I do, you're probably going to end up with guys from these lower micro-tiers. Uh, the white-collar group is Garoppolo, Goff, Lamar Jackson, Cousins, Wentz, and Philip Rivers. There's still QB1 upside in this micro-tier, which is why this is where you should probably aim to do most of your quarterback drafting. But because the guys in this in this macro-tier of the middle class are generally so close together... You might see some of these white-collar players get drafted with the management level, uh, or conversely, you might see them slide down. You might see some of the manager-level guys slide down into this white-collar range, and that unpredictability of how drafters will value the micro-tiers is exactly why you should wait to draft your passers as long as possible. Chances are, your league mates are going to overvalue a handful of guys that you don't like. Even if they don't overvalue those guys and quarterbacks get drafted ahead of you exactly in the order you would have picked them, you're still getting fair value for whoever falls to you, right? Or you're getting a guy at higher value than you you thought you would get, right? Um, If someone who you like falls. And while the bargain quarterbacks are falling to you, you're theoretically stacking up advantages at more important positions like running back and wide receiver in earlier rounds while you're waiting on QB. If you wait even longer, you're going to get into my blue-collar tier. This is Prescott, Trubisky, Mariota, and Stafford. My first pass through these micro tiers had Prescott and Trubisky under white-collar, while Mariota and Stafford were lumped down with the next tier of guys as blue-collar. But I feel like some credit is due to these more veteran signal collars, and so I added that fourth intern's tier. Trubisky feels like the most volatile guy in the the entire middle class, maybe, and especially here in blue-collar. And and I I know I said veteran, but he's definitely not on that same level as, say, Stafford. Uh, Anyway, Trubisky's offensive system and rushing ability set a pretty high ceiling, and we saw him hit that ceiling multiple times in 2018, but I, I still don't trust his quarterbacking skills enough to rank him alongside more proven players. Ranking Trubisky between Prescott and Mariota feels pretty appropriate to me, Will Trubisky tap into more consistency and develop as a floor play like Prescott, or will variance and volatility doom him kind of like it has Mariota over the past couple seasons? I want to be optimistic with Trubisky, but I feel like I tend to be better served in fantasy by cynicism and apathy when it comes to expectations for young players, hence the low ranking of Trubisky And maybe that flies in the face of my even lower ranking of Matthew Stafford. He's been relatively consistent for a long time, but I'm generally wary of his compiler type profile, and recency bias has me doubting him going forward. Maybe the new offensive coordinator for Detroit, Daryl Bevel, will help Stafford right the ship, but I'd rather aim for more upside with my higher-ranked quarterbacks, and if I miss on some of those guys, then I get to settle for Stafford and his boring consistency. The next micro-tier are my two interns, uh, Sam Darnold and Josh Allen, And you could probably talk me into some bleed-over from the undesirable macro tier. You know, Derek Carr, Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater. Those guys are the best potential bets. But this tier is mostly about Darnold and Allen. They could be ready to move up into blue-collar or even white-collar status, but I'm going to play out the internship a little bit longer and see what skills they show uh, in year two. My, My biggest fear with Darnold is his coaching situation. Adam Gase has some brand equity as a, quote, offensive guru, unquote. But I'm not sure that reputation holds much water after so many forgettable seasons coaching the Dolphins. You know what I mean? If he was really that great, couldn't he have done more with that team? I I don't know. Maybe we can blame Gase's poor performance on the players in Miami and things will be fine now that he has a significantly stronger quarterback prospect in Darnold. But I'm not planning to pay QB2 prices to find out with Sam Darnold. Uh, Not with so many other proven players at the position available. With Allen, the concern is a little bit more tangible. He might just not ever be accurate enough to succeed in the NFL. For now, we can hold some optimism for him, you know, know, projecting some amount of growth uh, and also just leaning on his rushing ability. But that rushing ability can only carry a quarterback for so long. Just ask Terrell Pryor, Tim Tebow. If Allen doesn't put it together accuracy-wise, he's not going to last long as a starter in the NFL. And so I'm going to close things out by going back to the undesirables tier and splitting that up into a couple micro tiers. And I'm not actually going to separate the QBs here that I listed, uh, if only because there are still too many dominoes yet to fall in the NFL offseason. But I think when you're trying to parse out these guys who are, quote unquote, not good or not desirable, you can kind of split hairs and you know break ties just based upon situation alone because we know the talent either wasn't there to begin with or isn't there anymore because these guys are aging so for me it boils down to am i optimistic about the situation or am i pessimistic about the situation and i just try to think about each of these not so great quarterbacks in both of those potential contexts what do i like about this player's situation what do i dislike about it As the season approaches and the answers to these questions become more clear, it will be pretty easy to differentiate which of the undesirables you'd prefer to draft if you're forced to do so. So I'll just run through a few examples from this tier. Derek Carr, the pros, uh, you know, the contract gives him some amount of job security. The Raiders paid him a lot of money. He's probably going to hold on to that starting job all season. The cons, Derek Carr probably isn't that good in the first place, and his team is a mess. So... You just even if he has the job, how much value is there in that Raider's job? I don't know. It's it's not great. Uh in this case, I, I would I would actually lean towards Derek Carr being a guy I'd be more likely to draft from the undesirable tier because if I if things have gone that poorly for me in a draft, that means I do just want to lock up a starter. I want somebody who has a role. And Carr does feel safer in that regard than other players. And I, I can overlook the fact that his situation isn't great team-wise because his contract locks him into that, you know, potential starting role. Uh, Another example, Josh Rosen. Pros, Cliff Kingsbury incoming, man. Offensive genius from college ranks coming up. Hopefully going to school up Rosen a little bit, install a more modern offense for the Arizona Cardinals, and that can only benefit Rosen. The biggest con for Rosen, the offensive line there still needs a ton of work. And maybe they can address that through free agency and through the draft. We'll have to wait and see. This is one of those situations where I don't know if I'm going to want to be drafting Josh Rosen. If I'm doing you know, a best ball draft right now, because there's that uncertainty... I will generally avoid him and try to get my quarterback sooner. Again, there's a certain level where it breaks for me. And if I'm drafting a quarterback from this tier of undesirables, I feel like I've done something wrong in the draft. I don't feel like I should ever have to draft Josh Rosen. Uh, Another example, Eli Manning. The pros, great weapons around him. Odell Beckham Jr., Saquon Barkley, the cons, Eli Manning isn't good anymore, and the team needs to move on, uh, but with that said, it's not like you know the guy I have ranked below Manning, Joe Flacco, is good either, and so it does matter to me that Manning has elite weapons, uh, so if I'm weighing those two options against each other, if those are the last two starting quarterbacks available to me and I need to pick one, I'm probably going to take Manning over Flacco because the, the pros outweigh the cons to me in this particular case. Anyway, that does it for this deep dive into macro and micro tiers of the quarterback position for fantasy football. I hope this was interesting to you. I hope it made some sense. And if you take anything away from this episode, I would hope that you could figure out these sorts of tiers on your own to some extent, right? Don't just trust my evaluations. Make your own evaluations. Start big. You know, start with those big macro tiers and then whittle it down and If at any point you don't feel comfortable making a differentiation between two different types of players or two specific players, that probably means those guys are in the same tier. And I I think that's useful. I think that understanding how you value these guys relative to one another helps you understand where you can find value in draft once ADP starts to solidify and once you do a few mock drafts. You'll start to see those windows in the draft where, where... you know you can target certain players and you can expect certain guys to fall based upon your draft position. But that does it. Uh, Otherwise, I'll be back again next week getting back to Fantasy Baseball for another episode with a special guest. So if you have any questions for baseball that you want us to go over on air or if you just generally have feedback for the show, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Greg Sauce. Also, please take the time to rate and review the podcast and hit that subscribe button while you're at it. Thank you all for listening very much. Uh, We'll catch you next time. Adios.